Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. What's your real name? Um, Douglas? I knew it was something weird. Your first name's Douglas? No, that's my middle name. My first name's Braden. I'm not really sure what the question was about. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan <laughs> or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. We have a lot of SEC football to discuss today. Um, you've known me for how many years? 15 years? Oh, shit. Have I really? No, maybe not. Like 12 no, 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 years? No, no, no. I'll tell you. 2011. So, okay, 11 years. More than a decade you've known me. You have thought my name was something different this whole time? I just like when you said it that last time, I just like d- didn't believe it this time. When you said it, I was like, I feel like <laughs> just, you're hiding something. One time. It's yeah, just, like, like watching Georgia play Missouri. You just don't believe what you're seeing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a lot like the fourth quarter of that game, actually. Or the first three where you're like, what is happening? Well, All right, it so... just really hit at the end and you're like, is this really happening? <laughs> yes, exactly. No, my real name's Brayden. Um, you can get to me on Twitter at Brayden Gall. No problems there. It's exactly what my first name is. Uh, nobody's ever been able to pronounce it. I've been Brandon uh, everywhere I've ever been. Um Work. And I call you Brad when you're annoying. Well, so all the time, uh, yeah, basically, you Brad, <laughs> you do call me Brad, uh, basically, which is fine. Uh, Brad sounds like a more annoying person, I feel like, than Brayden. Uh, so that mm-hmm. that tracks that tracks yeah. uh, a lot of stuff to get to today on the show. Brody Miller, who is on the same lax team with Brad. Uh, there's no question about that. No, we love Brody. Brody Miller from The Athletic covering LSU and Tennessee. Uh, he will be on the show a little bit later on to give us a breakdown of that matchup, Jaden Daniels, should be healthy, ready to go. 11 a.m. kick time. Not a lot of time to cook the food and drink the beer, but LSU and Tennessee at 11 o'clock Central Standard God's time. We'll talk to Brody Miller from The Athletic coming up a little bit later on in the show to discuss that game. We have a lot to get to, man. The state of Mississippi with a really big weekend. Now they've got another big weekend, especially for Mississippi State, as they will host Arkansas. We've got, uh, w- what do we make of Ole Miss? How good are they? How, how good is Kentucky after that game down in Oxford? Tremendous stuff there. Auburn, what are they waiting for? They'll play Georgia this weekend. We already touched on what's happening with LSU. We'll get into that. Of course, Jimbo Fisher and AM are going to play Alabama this week. It's a little bit more interesting because Bryce Young's injury status is up in the air, but uh, it, it's also sort of a little anticlimactic considering how Texas A&M season has gone. So we've got a lot of stuff to get to from week five and looking ahead to week six. Brody Miller going to join us as well. However, before we do any of that, Aaron Dugan, Fringe Element, is brought to you by... J.E. Dunn, it's the happiest place in the world. It's a lot like Disney World. It's a little bit different. Um, But their people are happy. Employees, everybody. You don't seem like you like where I'm going with this. No, this is my favorite part of working with you. It doesn't matter what our sponsor is. I have no idea where the ad's going to go. And yeah. it is my favorite part of working with you. J.E. Dunn. Go work at J.E. Dunn if you're looking to make a career change. Top 100 yeah, happiest place in the United States to work. And she's not wrong. She's telling you the truth that it's, what did you say, happier than Disney World? Is that what you said? No, Disney. I think Disney's uh, logo is like the happiest place on earth. I was trying to oh. make that a thing with J.E. Dunn. Okay. So maybe. The happiest maybe, place to work on earth. I think I heard Stetson Bennett walking off the field with somebody asked, like, what are you going to do next? And he's like, I'm going to go to J.E. Dunn. Like, I think that's what he said after yeah, the win. That, that is what he said. Yeah, people, <laughs> a lot of people didn't hear that, but he did say that. At the Although he probably will end up working at a place like J.E. Dunn when he's done because uh, he's not going to play in the NFL. And he's super smart, great teammate, you know, hard worker. That's what J.E. Dunn's looking for. That's what they want. They doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how what your experience level is. Like, they build... Huge buildings and and big hospitals and all kinds of big construction projects, but they're not they're not trying to sell you a two hundred fifty million dollar building. They're trying to get you to help them build the building. So if also you're looking, a really good sign if they're just really looking for people to work there because they're, I mean, just continuing to kill it and making five billion dollars in annual revenue and just mm-hmm. smoking mm-hmm. everybody. So including meats on their grills on the patio big overlooking. Grill guy overlooking downtown Nashville. No, honestly, truly one of the voted best place to work, uh, top 100 healthiest place to work in America. It, it get, honestly, if you care about, if you want to work for a company that cares as much about you as you do about you, go work at J. Dunn. That's that's basically it. If you want to play for Josh Heupel and Sam Pittman, go go work at J. Dunn. That's it. Yeah. Jdunn.com. Now accepting uh, career resumes and applications. <laughs> yeah, if my career goes awry, I will, I will be doing that. <laughs> 
Well, you're working with me, so I don't know how much more evidence you need. I'm doing a lot more than that. <laughs> so, um, all right, let's get into to Alabama. So Alabama, you know, they Bryce Young gets the AC joint. Uh, I don't know why he's trying to throw on the last second there as he's getting tackled. They had a 14-0 lead. It eventually goes up to 21. Arkansas makes a furious comeback. It's 28-23. Um, starting to see cracks in Bryce Young dependency. And then, of course, Alabama does Alabama things. With Jalen Milrow, the backup quarterback, who brings a totally different dimension. Not not totally different, but but certainly a more explosive runner. And they just dropped the hammer in the fourth quarter. They cover the 17.5-point spread on the road with their backup quarterback. And we'll get to Georgia's struggles in a little bit, Aaron. But I think if we've got to start with how impressive it is that Alabama was able to do what they did with their backup against what I still think is a pretty good Arkansas team. Yeah, I mean, you definitely did start to see kind of where Arkansas was was falling apart, and a lot of that had to do with just Arkansas's inability to really convert on third down. They just could not make that happen. It was hard for, like, the, their pass rush to struggle. Just a lot of things just kind of falling apart for Arkansas um, right in front of your eyes, but they did make it interesting there for a little bit. Um, Alabama just had some, like, big-time, like, chunky plays, even on third down. Um, like five, I think five of their plays I wrote this down. They had gains of 47, 53, 22, 12, and 77. So five of their, um, like plays when facing first down made up for like 40% of their offense and Arkansas just, uh, just really struggled to get things done when it mattered on third down. And it kind of ended up, uh, mm. it, it definitely mm. allowed Alabama to co cover the spread, even if Arkansas had been, uh, playing their best game on their best day. I do think that uh, Alabama probably would have eked, eked out the win, but it could have even been more interesting than it was there for a second. And I think Jameer Gibbs, I mean, I would I would guess, I suppose, the best sort of all-around game from him. Obviously, over 200 yards rushing, caught a couple of passes, wasn't really used in the return game there, but uh, over 11 yards per play. Like, that's the Jameer Gibbs I think people expected. And I think when Bryce Young goes out, there's this, this panic that happens. Mm -hmm. And then everyone realizes, wait a second, we're Alabama. And like then other star, five star future NFL players go, OK, I got this. Right. And, and then they go on to win. And Alabama has been has built national championship level teams around quarterbacks that were far <laughs> less talented than Bryce Young. Yeah. yeah and and uh, Milrow, the backup. <laughs> yes. Jake, Jacob, I'll remind you of Jacob Coker winning a national championship. Yeah. Uh, and Greg McElroy winning a national championship and and all that. We kind were of thinking stuff, it. So. You said it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so obviously what it leads us to is the matchup with A&M this weekend, which, uh, you know, I don't know about you. We loved it when the whole Jimbo Nick Saban thing happened. It was fantastic. It was catnip. But I also thought it decided the outcome of the game. And I thought, eh, this isn't going to be that interesting of a game. And game day for ESPN is going to be in Kansas of all places now. They're not interested. A&M's now lost twice. They they got destroyed by Mississippi State, could not pressure the quarterback. They're good on defense, but got roasted by Will Rogers in Mississippi State last week. But the injury to Bryce Young is certainly a a, a huge issue here. We're not exactly sure what it's going to look like on the field. I, are you more interested, less interested? I, explain the evolution of interest in the A and M, you know, Texas A and M game for you, Aaron. To me, just what Texas Texas A and M is not necessarily what I thought they were going to be. Um, this year. So I just think that them being there being a little bit more a division between the Texas A&M team that I thought we would be seeing in this one makes it slightly less interesting. Um, I never try. I try never to get excited about uh, a quarterback. You know, I'm not excited for why it's it is more right, interesting. Right, yeah. You, you don't have to explain to people that you don't root for injuries. I don't, I don't. root for injuries. I'm not a big injury rooter. But <laughs> you want to try that one again? <laughs> nope, I think I'm good on that. Okay, I'll, right. I'll I'll double down. Um, I am. I feel less interested, but I don't know if I can totally put my finger on why. I, I mean, I was not so I was not interested at all. Like <laughs> you are more interested now. I don't I'm know. I'm far just, more interested now because the chances that the quarterback. I mean, okay, look, it's not. I get why. I know that that's the popular answer. I just don't. I don't know why. I just don't totally care. But finish your thought. Well, but because I, I think you're still right. Eventually, like I can talk myself into all right, backup quarterback. 
Texas A&M defensive right. line. Okay, they're pretty good. Like you can you can start to justify it in yourself in your head while you're starting to get more interested. But right. but th- this but you is kind of no. Right, right, right. Like I almost don't care who starts or plays. I feel like A&M is going to get hammered by Alabama. I don't think it matters. I think again they've we're t- we're talking about a team that could be three and three versus the number one team in America, basically. Now that Georgia, of course, is t- looks totally mortal. So it's just hard. Like I'm, I'm trying to talk myself into getting more interested in the game. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. No, I know. I know what you're doing. I agree with you. And maybe I didn't say this in a very succinct way when I was trying to a second ago. Because you're an injury rooter. Yeah, I'm an injury rooter. Big injury rooter. <laughs> if Texas A&M had been what I was. Ex- expecting and hoping for them to be this would make it super interesting but they've just because of all the things you you just named i it's going to be probably what it still was going to be so i'm just not going to get my hopes up about it being super exciting (laughs) because i don't like to be disappointed yeah and i was checking uh, i'm scrolling right now looking for the updated uh point spread total on on the game um, because I'm I, like you, I'm, I'm kind of the same way and Vegas totally agree. agrees. It's right now. Currently at time of taping, it's a 24 point spread for Alabama. Um, so I looked at some numbers over the course of the last, for the first four meetings of the, of Fisher versus Saban, A&M and Alabama, okay. um, 45, a- Alabama's averaged 45 points a game and three wins and one loss, 509 yards per game, 7.7 yards per play. Texas A&M has averaged 29 points a game, so two touchdowns less, uh, 401 yards, more than 100 yards less per game, and 5.7 yards per play, which is two full yards less per play than Alabama, which is, again, the difference between the best in America and one of the worst offenses in America, if you're not familiar with yards per play. So I'm, I'm, I think we've already talked about it too much. Like, I'm, tr- I'm, tr- I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get into it. I'm trying to sell myself on it, but it's... I don't know. It feels like that alcoholic taking a drink like, you know, you shouldn't do it. So I'm not I'm uh, you know, I'm not I'm not I don't want to get too excited about it. Yeah, I don't I don't have a lot else, but we can talk about are we going to roll back into what happened this last weekend? Well, I just think a lot of what happened. LSU was able to get pressure on Will Rogers in Mississippi State, and it led to Mississippi State not finishing drives, LSU closing them out in the fourth quarter and winning the game. A&M could not get any pressure on Will Rogers. And if you cannot get pressure on Will Rogers and he stands back there and he's got some receivers that actually have some space after the catch to make things happen. And, and the defense is allowed time to operate. Although Texas a and is not exactly challenging anybody on offense right now. It's just an incredibly impressive win by Mississippi state. And of course they're going to host Arkansas this weekend who I don't know about you, but like I still think Arkansas again. Like I said earlier, I think Arkansas is a pretty good football team. Like I think, unlucky, and then Bama, and like most teams are zero and two in that situation. What did you just say about LSU? Uh, that they got pressure on Will Rogers. Oh, I thought you said something else. What do you think I said? Nothing. Well, explain. No, I don't have to. It's a podcast. No, I get it. I know what it is. <laughs> did you think I said something offensive? <laughs> No, I just like, I thought you had something backwards for a second, but now that you repeated it, I don't think you did. No, I wasn't going to totally call you out. You can always call me. I mean, when have you ever not called me out for anything? I don't know. I'm just feeling really nice today. It's weird, honestly. Okay. We'll see about that. We'll see where the show goes. Mm -hmm. Um, No, Arkansas, Mississippi State. Arkansas, despite losing to Bama and Bama covering the spread, there's some issues in the secondary that Mississippi State can probably exploit this weekend. Mississippi State's an eight-point favorite. But I still think I, I think this is going to be a very high scoring game. I think Arkansas can score with Mississippi State. I still think they're I think it goes back to people are counting Arkansas out altogether already because you lose unlucky to AM and then Bama beats you. But well, I, Ar- I think that'd be stu- I think that would be stupid to, to overlook Arkansas and just just forget all about them. I agree because I actually think Arkansas operates better from that underdog mentality like Arkansas doesn't need you to think they're good if they know that they're good and I know that they did not have the showing that they wanted to this last week, but I, I, I they'll operate fine from that place. They, the humility factor seems to like work in their favor. Um, it, it is interesting to see if, cause they depended pretty heavily through the, um, like a couple weeks stretch they had at the beginning of the year. And I know I'm going to use like South Carolina and forget the other team they played. They played, I mean, they beat Cincinnati 
pretty pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean, but in it was Missouri State, so it wasn't like anything super impressive. But they really depended pretty heavily on getting to the quarterback when they're on defense. Yeah, and so I, you know, they had they were leading college football with sacks, like entering into this past week. Um, they had like 14 in a two-week stretch earlier in the season, and then they've had three total in their last two losses. So I just think that says something about like what is their defense able to do and how is Mississippi State going to protect the quarterback? And there's a lot of factors yeah. that lead into it, but I think they depended pretty heavily on like being able to put pressure on teams earlier in the season and just to figure out how to do that against these better hot – like these higher ranked, more talented teams in the SEC, if they can translate that, it's going to help them a lot. Yeah, I think pressuring Missouri State and South Carolina and Cincinnati is different than pressuring A&M and, it's way and Alabama. Now, it, you know, even saying that about A&M, you kind of feel weird, like saying that out loud, like, oh, A&M, because they're starting to to prove us all. Yeah, but just size wise, if you, if nothing else, it which matters it harder. Yeah, it does which matter. Size does matter. There's no question. Uh, Arkansas won the last two in this matchup. Um, last two have been one score games. Mississippi state was dominant before that. Uh, Dan Mullen had kind of owned this rivalry. A lot of that was coaching turnover at Arkansas, but so, so historically it's tough to kind of see because it's, you know, two guys in their relatively early in their careers in the sec. I just think it's going to be a really fun game. Lots of points. Eight point spread seems a little high for a Mississippi state team that still always kind of does some things to keep the game close, despite what happened last week against A&M. I like Mississippi State to win the game at home, but I would not be surprised if Arkansas has the ball driving late in like a, I don't know, like 44-38 type of game. Like I, I could see Mississippi State's 3-3-5 struggling to stop the versatility of the running game for Arkansas. KJ Jefferson doing some stuff, uh, slinging it around a little bit. No pressure for either team on the quarterback. Like I could just, I just think both quarterbacks are going to have some room to cook. I agree. I think for me, you know, I think it's going to come down to turnovers. I say whoever can take care of the ball. That's what yeah. that definitely made the difference with Mississippi State and Texas a and this last week with the Bulldogs for forcing four turnovers over the course of the game. And if you cannot protect the ball, if all other things are even, and I do think this is going to be a great matchup, it'll be high scoring, like you said, and it'll be like a really fun game to watch. But with a defense like Mississippi State that can create chaos, you just have to be that much more detail-oriented and making sure that on offense you're protecting the football. I think it's going to be really close, and I think turnovers will decide the game. I think whoever has more turnovers will be the loser at the end of the week. Well, which is a pretty good number to go with. Um, I also think like Mississippi State last week against AM, it was just one of those moments where they finally looked like the whole complete team that we expected. Mm -hmm. Like Special teams was good, made big plays. Defense was good, made big plays offense was not just good but balanced and was able yeah. to make plays after the catch like it was just a very holistic well-played game by mississippi state uh so play a&m that's how you get healthy these days in college football and <laughs> good luck on that 24 point spread against bama this week um state of mississippi though not just the bull puppies aaron mm -hmm. although very impressive win by the bull puppies uh old mississippi now five and oh i i don't Am I in apology territory yet? Like, do I have to apologize to Ole Miss yet? Or do I need, like, am I already there? Or have I already done it? I obviously have you already apologized? I mean, I kind of like, it was like a backhanded apology last week, when? maybe. Last week, I kind of backhanded apologized. But I, I was, it was sort of like you saying. You mean subtly backed off of your incorrect analysis of what would happen this season? No, I mean, thought, no, I have not. You subtly admitted you were wrong just a little? I have no problem admitting that I'm wrong. I'm wrong all the time. I said Ole Miss has a chance to be 6-0 and or 7-0. and This is what I said all summer, but that they're going to lose every game down the stretch. I, I, I am starting to feel very different about that. Um, but it's also just one game. And while, it was while the defense for Ole Miss was impressive, that was what was impressive. That's what I didn't expect to see was a defense flying around or all of Chris Partridge's gut hanging out of his shirt. While celebrating a win, I don't know if you saw that. I did. If you're if you're gonna, so you did see it. Oh my god! If you're gonna be in the booth and you're gonna jump up and down to celebrate, just have a shirt tucked in or one that's long enough to cover all of your stomach. I just that part was hard to watch. Ain't give a shit. Defense was good. Defense was fun to watch. <laughs> not, it was not, not Chris Partridge. <laughs> that also came down. I mean, obvious. I, I knew. I figured that game was gonna be close, and I. Did you think at the beginning of the season, did you think Kentucky Ole Miss would be as close as it was? Did we think that there was more of a separation 
I'm thinking in the preseason, I thought there was a decent amount more separation between what Kentucky was going to be able to do and what Ole Miss could pull that's off. Good, that's a good question. I think I think in the Athlon magazine, I think we had Kentucky at like 26 and Ole Miss at like 30. So I don't yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I think they were pretty close. Only the second matchup ever where they were both ranked. And, and so maybe Ole Miss defensively is further along. Their running game is really good. I, that's the other thing I thought was impressive, the way they were running the football in Kentucky, because you don't do that to Kentucky. They had almost 200 yards rushing against Kentucky. But again, here's the other side of this. like All of that's good stuff for Ole Miss, but the other side of it is the the fumble by Will Levis going into score to win the game probably could have been targeting. So you, you might have gotten lucky there if you're Ole Miss to get that ball. Yeah. Then they go down to the one-yard line and throw a game-winning touchdown pass that's called back because the receiver is half a second from being set, which again, is a mistake by Kentucky that Ole Miss capitalized on, but you yeah. could also you could also be like both those plays probably should could have gone the other way and you lose the game if you're Ole Miss. Right. Then we're, then we're raving about Kentucky. So it's not like they dominated. So it's a right. great win and things are impressive, but I, I think we also need to kind of just say, all right, good job. That was basically two very even teams. And maybe that's kind of the point of your question, maybe? Yeah, I, I think that's that is the point of my question, which is I'm not I'm not making serious uh, you know, season long assumptions about either of these teams based on this game because I do think it could have easily tipped the other way. I mean, you can tell by the score that it was not, I mean, you know, it's obviously close, but I, you know, it doesn't really change my opinion about Kentucky, except for there's some little mistakes that you just can't be making. And at this point in the season, you have to be cleaning up those little things, trying to get to the root of what is putting people in the position to turn the ball over and all of that. But over like overarching opinion about it is that I feel kind of the same about Ole Miss and Kentucky as I did going into this week. So I, I just yeah. can't make any major assumptions based on the result of this game. I tend to agree because I, I think Will Levis probably held the ball too long, but the offensive yeah. line didn't help him much at all. So I think I kind of saw out of Kentucky what I expected. I think there were some things about Ole Miss that I didn't expect. Again, the defense and the running game partic in particular, those are two areas. If I'm an Ole Miss fan, I'm very pleased with. Yeah, with what you can do against Kentucky on the ground is yeah. obviously saying something. How about this? Okay. If if what you're saying is true, and I, I tend to agree with you, but if that's true, that like we didn't really learn anything, they're both pretty good, right? Like good yeah. teams, top 15 teams in the country, give or take a few spots, however you want to rank them. If they handle their business this weekend, if Ole Miss goes on the road to Vanderbilt and just does what we think a top 10 team should do, and Kentucky hosts South Carolina and does what we think a good top 25 Kentucky team should do, is that where we just go, yeah, that's everything we thought they were back back two weeks ago? Does that, does that sentiment make sense? I think so. I think it like, does make sense. Like if either one of them struggles, then we kind of know, well, maybe what we saw last week wasn't all that great. Does that make you see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I think it does. And I would go maybe a step further and say, I mean, really, these two teams should not be struggling against Vanderbilt or or uh, South Carolina, respectively. So if you're struggling, it's a really bad sign. But just can you use this game like they had, you know, especially for Kentucky, like making some pretty significant mistakes or at least ones that. I mean, again, some of it could have gone the other way, like you said. Right. But can you still, use still turnovers? Game, so still turnovers. If you can use these games to not only not struggle, because you should not be struggling against either of these teams, but can you use it to clean up the places where you yeah. need work? Because when you play, you kind of get to go back to the drawing board after these big, you know, pretty close, even matchups. And if you play a team the next week, that can give you the opportunity to actually figure out what's going on and fix it. Like, you should not be making basically don't be turning the ball over to Vanderbilt or South Carolina. And there should be plenty of room and a talent difference to be able to clean up what your, your game is. Yeah. Kentucky, a 10 and a half point favorite right now, Ole Miss an 18 point favorite. So double digits, not huge spreads for Kentucky in particular. Really not that big. No, they, they've, they've won seven out of eight against South Carolina. They won four in a row at home. The last two have been kind of blowouts. So, uh, you know, I, I think if Kentucky covers a 10.5-point spread, then saying that they're basically even with Ole Miss and that that game was basically an even game on the road with a good team, sure. Do I believe... Like, Chris Rodriguez being back is a big a big help yes. for them. That that helps their rushing attack. The, the one question I have for Ole Miss is, does... Like, do you trust Jackson Dart to carry a team to... Like, let's say Kentucky had scored the, a, a touchdown in one of those two possessions and took the lead. And they're up by four. 
and Ole Miss gets the ball with a minute 20 to go. Plenty of time for Lane Kiffin's offense, right? Mm-hmm. They they were running that RPO play action eight yard in route the entire game. And at one point, I'm like screaming at my television. My wife is sitting next to me and I'm like, honey, they're about to run an RPO play action eight yard in route on third and seven for the 11th time. And it's going to work because Kentucky hasn't figured it out. I think finally they sort of figured it out. Do you trust right now against a good team like a Kentucky or an Arkansas, um, um, you know, Mississippi State, Tennessee, pick pick a team? Do you trust Jackson Dart with a minute and 20 to go to lead the team to victory? That That's, I think, the last thing that I don't know about maybe with Ole Miss. I don't know. I I don't think I can go that far. No. Not I yet? Mean, I, no, I don't. I don't. He's super talented. Don't get don't don't get it twisted. I just don't know if I don't know if everything else is rock solid enough to say because obviously you know there's a bunch of moving pieces. But I'm not ready to say that, especially against. And it's not necessarily because of a lack of trust with him, but it's more all the other teams you just named. You named Tennessee. If it was any other year, I'd say yeah, they're fine. Oh, or you named Mississippi State. Like it's just it's more about the competition that I don't think he can get it done against rather than like him himself being okay. Apparently flawed. I, I think that's fair. I I would have loved to have seen, and not because I'm rooting against Ole Miss. I had Kentucky plus the seven, so I won my I won my money either way. But I I would have liked to have seen because they have not been challenged. He has not been challenged. They have dominated four inferior opponents until that game, and they were basically held in check in the second half. The running game is what was good. The defense is what was good. I would have loved to have seen him put into a situation where the game was on his shoulders against a very good Kentucky defense, but at home, I don't know. I think we I think we would have learned even more about Ole It would have been more telling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, super fun football game. Like, love that game, even if For it was sure. a little sloppy. So, yep. um, all right, we still have LSU Tennessee with Brody Miller coming up. We're going to talk about Auburn, what the hell they're waiting for. They'll play Georgia this weekend. Um, again, LSU Tennessee, a game I cannot wait for. What exactly is going wrong with the Georgia Bulldogs or what went wrong against Missouri? How concerned are we? The weirdness of the Missouri Florida game. So there's a lot of stuff still to go on the show. However, I've got a question for you okay. before, we do, before we do any of that, because Fringe Element is brought to you by J.E. Dunn. The, oh, you're going to make me do the taglines too? Just okay, the one on. out there. Yeah, whatever you're feeling. Whatever you J.E. Dunn, they don't even need a tagline. This is one of the nicest. Braden, I have. I am waiting on my official J.E. Dunn invite to tour the office, but okay. Braden does not okay. shut the F up about it and how nice they are. So feeling a little left out and I'm ready to tour it. So Braden, tell the good people why they would not be mad to show up there every day. To, to be fair, uh, there's not many things in life that I shut the F up about. Um, That's 100% true. Here's what I was going to ask you, because the offices are spectacular, top 100 healthiest place to work. They care about their employees, so you should go check them out, jdunn.com. I'm curious. I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle off all the head coaches in the SEC, and you need to tell you're you're in charge of J. E. Dunn. You need to tell me what role you're putting them in because you don't need any experience to go work at J. E. Dunn. Okay. But I want to know. Like, here's an easy one for you. Eli Drinkwood's at Missouri. He he gets he he applies for a job. He's going to J. E. Dunn. Like to me, that is an engineer. That's a guy who could build buildings and design things. Like he's a super nerd. I'm putting Mike Leach and Eli Drinkwitz into the engineering department at J.E. Dunn. Yeah, like the mad scientist room. Yeah. 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 Or or I could put Mike Leach into legal. I think he's got a law degree from Pepperdine, I think. I wouldn't <laughs> do that. No. I mean, I no. know he's smart, but like Did you see him give uh did you see him give wedding advice to Alyssa Lang after the game? <laughs> yes. They're like trying to go to break and he wouldn't shut up about Trevor, who Alyssa's is Alyssa's fiance. <laughs> I also this like, like a lope, a lope. It's gonna piss off all the women in your family. Just a lope. I love Alyssa Lang. Like I'm a huge fan, and her and Mike Leach together. I mean, he's he's up there interview wise for me. With, I mean, no one sees Spurrier, but Mike Leach is yeah. pretty entertaining. I, I will say, uh, Alyssa, I had a couple beers with her at at, at Media Days. She is even more fun in real life than what she's even allowed to be like on camera. Like she's I love even her. She's yeah, she's great. Uh, all right, what? Um, Josh Heupel, what what role you're you're in charge of Jay Dunn? Where's Josh Heupel in Jay Dunn's fl- organizational flowchart? <laughs> I feel like he could be like a like in uh, in HR, but not in a boring way. Just like trying to get people hyped up for like day to day shit. 
So H, do you say HR? Is that what you said? Yeah, but I don't mean that in like a boring way. I mean that in a way where you can get people pumped about. So he's the head of like the organizational psychology doing Enneagram tests and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's like, how how am I going to make you love it here? Even though it, you know, it doesn't suck there. So I'm sure it was easier than coming into Knoxville in the condition he came into it. But Jimbo Fisher. God. Um, (laughs) Head of sales? Is he the head of sales? I was going to say like a salesman that like just drinks a lot and you would not want to take to a student. I'm not saying he does, but he just kind of reminds me of, you know, the person that, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's the end. It's the, it, you know, like major companies have these like uh, retreats for all their best salespeople. Yeah. Like Jimbo Fisher's the organizer and implementator. Like he's the head of sales management. Implementator. Implementator. Jesus. He's the, he's the guy who like goes on the, he like books the, the, the hunting lodge resort for all the best salespeople on the staff to go celebrate how good they were at selling things. I yes. Think. Okay. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Nick Saban, CEO, obviously. Yeah, duh. Uh, duh. Kirby Smart is um, what is he head of accounting with the haircut? <laughs> he could be that, but he could also be like business development, like the VP okay. of business development. Oh, okay. You know, like keep it okay. moving forward, but all right. You don't have to. He's not as loud as the sales guys. Lane Kippen. He doesn't work there. <laughs> so only one. You're just like nope. Jay Dunn will take everybody, but not him. <laughs> I just think I'd be pushing it. I really he do. He doesn't even work in the analogy. It doesn't even. It doesn't even work in the analogy. No, um, he like he like got a bar job downtown and is loving it. Who else? Mark Stoops, uh, Billy Napier. I mean, Brian Harson obviously is not there. So we'll he also does we'll get, not work there. We'll get to that in a second. Nor anywhere. <laughs> um, you didn't ask me about Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman. What's Sam Pittman doing at Jay Dunn? I think he's like team. Mor- he's like the morale leader. Do they have that there? I think that's under Josh Heupel's department. Okay, I could see that though. They <laughs> can work together. It sounds like. All right, this has gone okay. too far. Yeah, it uh, has. Go to Jay Dunn, jdunn.com. Um, they'll find a place for you, even if you're a former SEC football coach, which brings us to Brian Harson and what he's going to have to deal with this weekend as a 30 point underdog against the Georgia Bulldogs. So, what exactly happened against Missouri? What are we concerned about with Georgia? And then we'll get to Auburn in just a second. So, I don't know when you caught the score of the Georgia game. I had a family gathering with my wife's family and we were kind of sitting around, but we're all big SEC guys and fans and people. So we were kind of like keeping an eye on and all of a sudden we look up and it's like 10, nothing. Wait a second. So then we, we actually put it on pretty early. Yeah. And and then I never really felt like Missouri was going to win the game, which is probably unfair. You know, we'll, we'll get no, to the, their game. against fair, but I know their game against Florida this, this week could be the most bizarre rivalry that no one talks about in college football, by the way. But I just, you know, Georgia got stops, held them to field goals. First thing about Missouri, if they if they just kick a 12-yard field goal against Auburn and just get one stop on defense against Georgia, we are having a very different conversation about Eli Drinkowitz and the Mila and the Missouri Tigers, right? Big, big time. Like yeah. a win over Auburn and a win over Georgia? Are you kidding? Yeah. And Auburn means less this year than in many years prior, but a win against Georgia right now, if you're anybody, is is big. It makes so, you the not worst Tigers in the SEC. It does, it does make you that. And there's, and there's three of them, them, not just yeah. two. There's three. There's three of them. I was at, um, I had a huge party here for friends. Like We did like a blowout baby shower on Saturday for two of my friends who you know, MC and Ricky. And then we went to Tin Roof after, and we're all sitting there eating in our like formal attire, eating chicken tenders and watching this game <laughs> on like a pretty small TV. And we're all just around it in formal wear. Like, what is happening right now? You guys wore um, formal wear to a baby shower? You know, we're extra. I know you're extra. We went to a baby shower two weeks ago. I brought my five year old, not sure I was allowed to. Uh, and w- I think we were wearing like fishing shirts. <laughs> I just wanted people to not want. Well, I host. Well, I had. Well, I was, okay. It, yeah, you were. I just wanted on a people show. to not like really. Everyone's excited for their kids when they their friends when they are having a child, but sometimes baby showers suck. So I was like, let's not have a shitty baby shower. So we had a cocktail party from four nice. to seven on a Saturday nice. with the game on, and yep. dressed up and drank, and then we went to Ten Roof. Well, and yeah, we're so sort we're, of we're, uh, we're we're like slightly older than you, so like all of our we've already gone like all of our kids now are between the age of like two and eight mm-hmm. in all of our friend group so we've already done all the baby. like we we don't really have a whole lot of more baby like 
we're kind of done with the baby. Sh- you know how you're at, you age out of wedding season? Like we've sort of aged out now of baby shower season. So that sounds like a fun one, though. I'm just at what point did you think Georgia was going to win? And and then the more important question is, what is it that Missouri did that that is on tape now for everyone else to use to stop Georgia? Because clearly Georgia is beatable. That that is the big takeaway from that game is that you can beat Georgia. They're not this unstoppable behemoth number one in the nation like they were last year. Well, if you look at just the way that they were coached, and obviously Missouri's defense had a lot to do with what they were able like to pull off here to keep it close. It's just, you know, being able to, I mean, first of all, Georgia was only, they were three for 11 on third downs, which is just not going to do it. The drive chart for their first eight drives were punt, fumble, punt, fumble, field goal, field goal, field goal, which there's 60 million field goals in this game. That's a lot. That's a lot of stops. Yeah. So you, they turned the ball over a couple of times. They were having to settle for field goals right and left. They were just completely out of sync offensively, it seemed like. Um, And Blake Baker just with Missouri just almost felt like he took all the right chances when he needed to. I think that's Um, a good good way of putting it, actually. He trusted his guys to get it done when he, you know, kind of figured out where they were going to go and how they were going to do it. And it did come back and haunt them a few times, but you can't play Georgia without taking risks if you're, if you're Missouri. Yeah. If you want to cover the spread, maybe you can, but you definitely are not going <laughs> to, you're definitely not going to have people gathered around a small TV in formal attire at 10 roof in the fourth <laughs> quarter if you don't take risks like they did. So I, I don't know exactly about, I'll let you answer. No, I part. think, I think you, I think you, I think you did it. Like they were aggressive on defense going after Stetson Bennett and the offensive line. It was one of the worst games the Georgia offensive line is going to play all season. So they're not going to be that bad again. They won't. But but they just stunts and twists and going after him in the middle and the blitzes and just being aggressive, 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 aggressive. And to your point, that is risky over time. It works in short doses, mm-hmm. but they didn't really have any other options. So they had to keep doing it. And as soon as Georgia figured out, like, all right, we're not going to be able to run off tackle, throw the short passes to the tight ends and let Stetson Bennett run around a little bit. They realized they had to change. So then they started going down the field and and then all of a sudden it started to work and it opened up and the running game started working again. And then all of a sudden, like if you're going to take that, if you're going to be that risky for 60 minutes, you better have real good dudes and you better get some breaks. And, and I just, I think the game plan is sound. Yeah, I do too. Being, and- being risky and being aggressive on defense is how you approach them. But, well, they, I, their defense set the tone. I mean, they set the tempo for the whole yeah. game. Like we're used to seeing Missouri's offense try and a lot of the time fail to be able to set the tempo of a game. And the defense comes in and tries to do what they can to keep it close. But it was completely flipped on its head. Like the defense set the tempo for the whole game. And I mean, I was, I was very underwhelmed about what Georgia was able to do, but very yeah. impressed by Missouri at the same time. And I mean, if you can even. They're on to something. If you can, if you can do that, doesn't matter what George, like what day you play Georgia. If you can play Georgia this year, even though they had a bat, I did not have a good game on Saturday. If you can yeah. play them this close this year with the amount of talent they have and you know what they were able to do last year and their experience, you're on to something. So keep it up. E- Eli needed one of those wins the last two weeks so badly, uh, just to talk to his fan base in the off season. Like he needed one of those to go his way. And you kind of like you're just like, oh, that sucks. And now they're playing Florida, which, by the way, is not a super interesting game, but an 11 point spread. It's the most it's one of the most interesting rivalries in all of football that no one talks about. Remember, these two coaches, Dan Mullen and Eli Drinkwitz, almost got in a fight like two years ago. You had the Darth Vader costume, the Jedi Knight costume. So after after getting Dan Mullen fired one time, Missouri won in Florida by scoring 42 points and had like seven first downs and like 110 yards of offense. Like this has been one of the weirdest series. Not many people around the country are going to watch Missouri, Florida, but it is, I guarantee you something, something bizarre and surreal is going to happen this weekend with those two. I don't don't know what I'm just, I can't wait to watch it. (laughs) Well, those are the best kind of games. I definitely think that I, I think it's going to be a good game. I, I would be more likely to tune in and watch Missouri this week. Uh, against Florida than I normally am. Sorry, I don't mean that in a mean way. But What about this? Missouri, Florida, you can watch all of it, or you can watch all of Georgia-Auburn, a 30-point spread right now 
in which Auburn should watching, and hopefully will fire Brian Harson. I'm watching zero of Auburn, Georgia in that game <laughs> or Georgia Auburn in that game. I'm and, and, watching the whole Florida, Missouri matchup. And I, I say that, by the way, not to be like, I hate you, Brian Harson. I want you fired. Like, that's not at all what I mean. I just like, let's end this charade. Like, let's let, let's put him out of his misery. Let him go get another job. Give him some of that buyout money. The bye week is coming. It is clear that they've been waiting to get destroyed by Georgia because Auburn, after a 17-0 lead on LSU, which is going to lead us into the Tennessee game here, they they don't score a single point in the second half. They take a 17-0 lead, and they give it all back to LSU and lose the game at home. Like, it's over. It's over. What are we doing? Auburn fans, I've talked to a few people down there. They are done with this. I, I don't understand what they're waiting for. It's time said, for him to open his week. CrossFit gym. We've seen enough. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, it was so he, so he has a CrossFit gym inside J.E. Dunn's facility. Like he's a contract laborer. Yeah, he's he might CrossFit just yeah, teacher. he's just like the team trainer. Okay. Right. Yeah, I mean it was sloppy. It was undisciplined. It was busted assignments left and right by Auburn. It was a train wreck. I mean, and yeah, it's bad. Yeah, and also, I mean, it never falls on one person's shoulders. But Robbie Ashford ain't it. Well, and God, 350 yards passing, like insane, um, which is going to be interesting because, again, LSU pressured Will Rogers in Mississippi State, which you didn't believe that I said earlier on the pod, but I did. Yeah, yeah. L- LSU pressured Robbie Ashford. He was able to get out and run around. And that's going to be what LSU is going to do to Tennessee this weekend. We'll get to Brody Miller in just a second. He's going to talk about that, uh, how well that defense has played. They've given up seven <laughs> points in the fourth quarter all season against FBS opponents. LSU has. So that defense is legit. Um Here's my to wrap up the Georgia conversation, Aaron. What do you want to see from Georgia in this game against Auburn, a team that is on life support? It's it's hard to put your. That's a good question. Because we just saw them struggle. They're now beatable. They're no longer number one in the nation. All this stuff, right? We're going to overreact. They're favored by thirty points against Auburn in one of the best rivalries in college football. It's not even supposed to be a game. It's just, I, to me, it's more about the mental agility of Georgia of being able to pivot and be like, that's not us. We, that was just a weird week. It's a mid, you know, middle of the season. We had an off week. That's not us. We're going to re- either just reset and get back right back to where we know we are and where other people think we are. It's just not believing that narrative about yourself and knowing that it was just a one-off. I, to me, it's the mental. I mean, there's a lot of, I guess, a lot of, you know, actual things that they could do. And we could talk about how they need to clean up their game and what they have to be able to do offensively and all of that. But to me, it's just not believing the narrative that you are going to play Missouri close and that's who you are. It's being like, oh, we're Georgia and we're getting back to it and we've cleaned it all up and we're moving forward. And we're lucky we won because it didn't affect our record at the end of all of this, but we're not that. He still, Stetson Bennett still finished over 300 yards passing, led to game winning touchdown drives just like he did against Alabama. So it's like as soon as you start doubting Georgia. Now, here's what I would say if they struggle again in this game, it is close, even within 10 points. I think then you have a pattern because Kent State wasn't exactly an easy win for them. It was easy ish, but it was a 17 point win. They gave up like four or five scoring drives on defense to Kent State, which albeit is a good offense. Then they struggle mightily at Missouri. If you now, if, the, if you then come back and struggle against an Auburn team with a coach who's supposed to be done, I, I don't know. Then you have a pattern here, right? Yeah. Like three games makes a pattern for sure. Yeah. All right. Agreed. There we go. There we go, Georgia. Handle your business. You're beatable. Alabama's beatable. It's great. That it's good for the game that these are beatable teams and they all have good games coming up for both of them. I still think after all of that, they're still the best two teams in the conference and we'll be in the playoff. <laughs> so. I'm not, I'm not really changing my prognostication about either team, although such interesting weeks and it doesn't matter. Thank you, Braden. What an inspiring Ted talk. I just got a text message saying that's that Bri- somebody thinks exciting for you. Bryce, somebody thinks Bryce Young is going to play. So I think that's likely. <laughs> um, but just again, we, we kind of mentioned it earlier. The question is, how good is he? How strong is the arm? How strong is the shoulder? We shall see. But it does make the A&M Alabama game interesting if he doesn't play. Uh, but it does sound like he's going to play uh, real quickly here. Uh, go ahead. No, 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 that was, I said, okay. Uh, before we get to Brody Miller, I just want your thoughts real quickly on LSU and Tennessee, 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, really the most important thing here, because this is a huge game for Tennessee to prove that they belong in the top 10 as an undefeated team. Brody's going to talk a lot about LSU. Hendon Hooker's got a Heisman Trophy on the line here. There's a lot of fun stuff 
these are just two teams that need to play more often. And I can't wait for the new schedule because LSU and Tennessee should not. 2010 is the last time these two played in Baton Rouge. That is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, these are two of the more fashion, like fashionate. That was passionate and fans all in one. Oh, fashionate. I like that. Yeah. You didn't know about it because it didn't exist until right now. (laughs) The most passionate. Also well-dressed as well. Fashionate. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. It was an accident. Let's not make it. I like it though. It is. It's a good accident. Um, Fashionate pan bases, both of these programs. <laughs> pan pan bases. <laughs> yeah, I see what I did there. I like um, it. I like it. It is. It will be. LSU is trying to get back to where they think that they should be existing in this conference, and Tennessee is too. But it's been a lot longer since they were here in this position than LSU. I think it makes it extremely interesting, especially with just how fast-paced Tennessee plays. Um, as an offense and then just their you know what they the talent they have at the receiving position I just think that the matchup is going to be extremely interesting very fun to watch and I don't know what the spread is actually let me guess do you know it yeah I do go ahead I I feel like I could be really off here because I don't really look at the the lines that often gambling is not the same thing as college football is it within seven two different sports three and a half Tennessee by three oh okay I was close there you go you didn't say LSU or Tennessee. I'm assuming you were saying Tennessee. I was. So, I think I right. have more faith in what Tennessee is than <laughs> LSU, just because I know more. So I have one. I think there's one key to the game. It's kind of based on what you just said. It's also going to be based on what Brody Miller's about to say. So I'm going to let you guys listen to that. We come back. We'll wrap up this bad boy. But when we come back right here, Brody Miller, the athletic covering LSU, talking LSU and Tennessee right here on Fringe Element. Brody, good to see you, man. How are you? Welcome to the show, my friend. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me as always. So how pissed off were LSU people that this was an 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff (laughs) against Tennessee? Genuinely, genuinely angry on so many levels, right? One, like, (laughs) they just want to tailgate, right? They want – I've seen people be like, well, you just wake up early and have a beer. And I'm like, I don't think you get it. They're waking up early and having a beer for – or out liquor – for the 7 p.m. game. They're mad that they only get five hours for the 11 a.m. game. So they're mad about that. They're mad that the environment for like what should be a really big top 25 game is going to be, you know, you never know. Like 11 a.m. games usually are a little muted. And three, I think there's also frustration from LSU people like administration and stuff about how this is going to affect recruiting and be able to get some people in town, all that stuff. So like there's genuine, genuine anger for this game, which is kind of wild well do, like do people in charge at the sec office not understand how long it takes to make a good roux like it Thank takes you. a yeah. it takes a long time and a lot of stirring to make a good gumbo and th- they need time for that i'm honestly surprised brody that they have not put in a state law that says every lsu home game like through the legislative office says every lsu home game has to start at 6 p.m or later like i wouldn't be surprised honestly i bet they'd love that but papa sec might have their own say <laughs> yeah. well ex- except for the main Main 2.30 kickoff. Ooh, I like that would be a fun little compromise. Yeah, I know. It it is always funny how mad they get because it's like you do kind (laughs) of get what you want like 90% of the time. Like, come on. And and I'll be very clear, speaking to LSU fans who are listening to this, Tennessee, this is not like we're joking here, having a fun time. Tennessee fans were like consider this a victory. Like they consider having to play at 11 a.m. in Baton Rouge at Tiger Stadium with an LSU team that – has been playing well since the first weekend of the regular season, although take away the first quarter against Auburn, I guess. Take the um, first quarter of every game away. Yeah, really. I guess yeah. that's true. Well, yeah. we're, we're going to get to that. Yeah. <laughs> but Tennessee fans are genuinely like happy and excited that this is happening at 11 a.m. So we're joking about it, but it, I think it does have an impact on the atmosphere. So I mean, it's the let's put it this way. It's the first like real top 25, like LSU has hope real major home game. And uh, this is not an exaggeration three years since 2019 because – yeah. Basically, opening day of 2020 and 2021, like the season was just off the rails right away. Yeah. Uh, good old Bo Pelini's man coverage against KJ Costello. Yes. Um, and it's but you're right, though. Let's talk about that, because yeah. this is a certainly the Florida State thing happened. The fourth quarter happened. We'll get to sort of how different this team is on both sides of the ball. It feels like in the third and fourth quarter. But you you have some momentum. You have an undefeated Tennessee team that has not been in this situation in a very long time. But they are riding high with a quarterback who's playing extremely well. Can you kind of give us like is there is it nervous is it cautious optimism is it pure joy and excitement how do how are the LSU fans 
right now at this point of the season following the first five games? Yeah, I think I think the honest answer, and it's going to sound rare, but is generally pretty rational of understanding that this was always going to be Ed Ogeron left this program in a tough situation. And they've, I think they, most people genuinely operating like this is a bit, this is a 10 year hire, you know, it's the hire that's going to, you know, Kelly's guy is going to hopefully get you on track for year two and three, but this year's team is going to be competitive, but not dominant. I think most people understand that. So I say that to say, I think most very much view this season in a weekly progression kind of way and not like a, if we don't win 10 games, there's trouble way. So yeah, I think a Florida State game was really concerning by just how ugly it looked and just the the penalties and the muff, the special teams and the errors that had people concerned. But in terms of where they're at, I don't think anyone's like, this team's great. I think everyone views this team as a flawed team that has some talent that's showing some real toughness to figure things out, but they'll, they'll never be shocked if they lose this game by 20, you know? So I think that's where most are at. <laughs> I want to start on defense because I think Brian Kelly, his staff, sort of a proven yeah. track record of being pretty good on defense. Yeah. Um, zero points in the second half against Auburn, zero points the whole game against New Mexico, uh, zero points in the fourth quarter against Mississippi State, three total in the second half. They gave up 17 to Florida State, but only seven. Um, so they've given up basically one touchdown to power five opponents yep. in the fourth quarter. W- w- what worked against Mississippi State? Is any of that applicable to Tennessee? And w- what is it about this team defensively that seems to work in the second half? Yeah, I think I started with Matt House, who's just a really good defensive coordinator hire. I mean, you look at the last two years, it just hasn't – some. Some I wouldn't blame Durante Jones for all of it, but at the same time, like this defense just has been so talented but not gap sound, all those things for, for a few years now. And, you know, you look at the Mississippi State game, and Matt House just had a really, really impressive game plan, man. It wasn't just like drop eight. It was constant confusion. Where's the pressure coming from? Overloads when they don't expect it. You know, they never knew if it was going to be eight or six in coverage, and and I give him a lot of credit for that. And then, you know, I think at the end of the day, this D-line has been a strength. I mean, that's what it was supposed to be. But even without Mason Smith for the season – this, you know, Makai Wingo stepping in has been an all SC, you know, a really good defensive tackle. And, and that D line, Bijo Jalari, who again, like fell in that category of that you've seen so much these last two years of really good talent, guys who were going to get drafted, but it never felt like they were like really the complete players they were supposed to be. Right. You're seeing those guys become those players where Bijo Jalari now looks like a top 15 guy. Like he is a star so far this season. So I think that's where it starts. But I give a lot of credit, and they've been really creative with how to use, like, Harold Perkins, the five-star freshman, you know, not giving him the whole catalog, but saying, hey, here's where we're going to use you, use your athleticism, and he's just making plays. But the credit I give is most, like, this secondary was supposed to be a major problem. And I think, one, credit to the personnel, man. They've been better than I thought they'd be. And two, you know, I think they've just done a good job of scheming around it, and, and those safeties are playing great. So they don't get beat on the deep end. Or when they do, it's just because of more, like, they were chasing the running quarterback like Robbie Ashford and they got beaten coverage. You know, it's not, you don't see them just flat out get beat by a passer, which all leads to your question. Hendon Hooker is different than the quarterbacks they played. Hendon Hooker's the real deal, man. I gave him my first place vote in our Heisman straw poll this week. Like I, I am all in on him. And if you chase, you know, if the, if the DB comes down when he's scrambling, he is going to pick you apart. He is just such a commanding passer who knows how to read the field. So it's going to be a different challenge for them. And as much as LSU, Mississippi State's a good offense, but like they haven't played an offense quite like this that's this multidimensional. So it's going to be a fascinating battle. Yeah, the X's and O's part of this on how you go about approaching Josh Heupel's offense is interesting because it's not necessarily complicated. Hendon Hooker makes it really difficult to stop because he's got like Jordan Travis-like accuracy down the field, yeah. but he's got Robbie Ashford sort of mobility. And and again, I don't think anybody expected 350 yards from Robbie Ashford ever. Um, like that's not a thing that should happen. Um, and I know we talked a couple of months ago and you said corner, corner, that's a concern. That's what I'm concerned about is the secondary uh, do we do you just expect something similar to the Mississippi State game plan, which like you've already talked about, which is yeah. just overload, disguise, change it up, confuse because Tennessee, again, with the super wide splits with the wide receivers and they do want to run the ball. Uh, is it come down to one on one matchups on the offensive line? Like, where is the thing or is it, you know, Tennessee's receivers against the corners? Where's the thing that decides how well LSU's defense plays? Yeah, it's such a good question because it's like 
I don't know if you do the same thing as Mississippi State, but I also, you probably really, as much as I give these corners credit, they haven't really been beaten one-on-ones. That's also a scheme, right? Like they have kind of avoided getting themselves in those like legit one-on-ones where you're like, hey, Makai Garner, go stop Cedric Tillman, you know? And I think that's going to be the thing. You probably do want to stay in that zone. You do want to stay in, you know, taking pressure off those guys. And they have these safeties that are so rangy and like multiple where Greg Brooks and Jay Ward are basically both nickels and safety hybrids that are just floating around. So I think it's a relatively similar game plan. Maybe not as like sit back conservative, but I think a relatively similar thing where you want to be disguising all the time and creating havoc because if Hendon Hooker gets to just hang out, he wins that battle nine times out of 10. So let's go to the other side and we'll talk Jaden Daniels. And I know you had yeah. mentioned again, when we talked about two months ago in the preseason, kind of leading up to the season, there was still some chatter about Garrett Nussmeyer in yeah. the background. Um, I, I find it difficult to grade Jaden Daniels because I still yeah, don't think, really he op- <laughs> I don't think he operates. And again, you're closer to it than I am, but it doesn't feel like he operates within the confines of the offense. But then when push comes to shove in the fourth quarter, when you sort of need someone to make plays, he's done well. Tennessee's played two very different quarterbacks in Keaton Slovis, who they just abused because he stood back there, yeah. and Anthony Richardson, who's over 500 yards of offense, but wasn't particularly great. And so, even with all that production, so I'm, I'm curious, a, how you grade Jaden Daniels, and then what is the right way to approach him if you are just trying to stop the the legs from working in the fourth quarter? Yeah, I think first off, I think you probably. If you're a defense, I think to some extent you let him run, you know, because it's like you'd rather because he's not you can't run every play. He's just not going to. So it's like you'd rather let him pass and and see if he makes mistakes. But, yeah, it's been like you said, it's hard to grade. It's been impossible to grade because it's like in the first. OK, some it looked like it was tempo. OK, when they go tempo, he thrives. And, you know, hey, if you go the short, quick passing game, he thrives. But it's not that simple. A lot of that's game plan, like against Mississippi State and New Mexico, we're dropping back. Yeah, that worked because you can get short passes, let your really good receivers go make plays. Auburn didn't let you do that. And all of a sudden, you know, Jaden Daniels just really couldn't make a decision. He couldn't, you know, decide he was eight of 20 and, and for 85, I think he had 85 yards total or less than that. Yeah. Just, he couldn't really recognize. And, and Brian Kelly had a fascinating press conference yesterday where he just flat out said, you need to be more aggressive. Like there is a line, but guess what? It is okay if you throw a few interceptions because probably what you are gain what we are, what else you was losing right now by never taking those chances is greater than what it would lose by say greater than what it's gaining by no interceptions this year. Which credit to him, he's no interceptions. But I mean, I just had a piece go up today that like even he's only thrown eighteen passes, fifteen or yards downfield this whole season, and. <laughs> That's, that's 20, for it's 2022 and this is not a Mike Leach offense. What are we talking exactly. about? <laughs> and he's six of 18 in those, which like that's concerning. So maybe that's why, yeah. but this even being six of 18, first off, that just shows you how few, but two, even six of 18, he's still three. He's 9.8 yards per attempt. And on the, on the shorter passes, it's like 6.5. So even though it's not pretty, it's still more effective, which I guess right. in again, small sample size, but that proves Brian Kelly's point. So yes, you do need him to be more aggressive and it's hard because it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe his second half numbers are better because you're trailing so much and teams are playing more conservative. Also Auburn's not a bad defense as flawed as they are. Uh, I don't think, you know, Mississippi state is not a bad, actually a really good defense. So I don't know. And this game will tell us a lot in a small way, just because Tennessee is, it's not a bad defense, but they are, they give up a lot of explosiveness in the passing game that you can say. So I think this is, can he take advantage of that? Because if he can't, it might just be what it is. So Alabama and and Georgia are the best two teams in each division, and that's sort of what we thought coming in. And I can't, you know, there's not really any change despite their recent struggles. Um, but I think we we sort of have, have talked all season and preseason and all summer and all spring that yeah. you know three through ten in this league is pretty balanced, pretty even. A lot of really good teams, good quarterback play across the across the board. Now that we've seen Arkansas, you know, unluckily, I guess if that's a word, lose yeah. to A and M. They, they sort of challenge Alabama, but not really. Mississippi State loses to LSU, but then comes back and uh, abuses yeah. A&M. A&M is what it is. Uh, Jimbo needs to go on a vision quest into the, you know, in, into the, the great wilderness of <laughs> West Texas and find yeah. some high school offense to evolve to. Um, Ole Miss, I'm not sure exactly how great they are. That's a nice win. So but hard it, to figure out. Yeah. But it was pretty lucky. Uh, we're, we're now that we're almost halfway with LSU in mind, where are they in the pecking order and how has your pecking order changed 
sort of relative to the entire conference. Yeah, I think I said on this the same show this summer, but I think I was basically like, I think it's going to be like a four way. Four teams are going to be eight and four in the West. I really, I believe that, and that's not an insult. That's me thinking. I think there's five right. teams that are probably the tw- six teams that are probably the top twenty five in the country. Like if we're being honest with ourselves, and and I think that's where it is. Where guess what? Arkansas is probably going to lose five games, and I think they are legitimately good. Like right. they they outplayed by almost any metric. The the uh, by Texas A&M and Bamish is a terrible matchup. And by the way, they're probably going to lose this week too because Mississippi State's a bad matchup. But like Arkansas is really good. They'll probably do really well against LSU. And you know Mississippi State, I love them, and I still think, I think under my head, I consider them the second best team in the West. I do too. <laughs> I, and I'm not confident, but yeah, like I think they're the most well-rounded. LSU just really defended well that game, but they're not bad. Ole Miss, I was so down on, and they proved so much to me defensively and proved that this run game is just good enough to like actually go up against the Kentucky and run it. Like That is an elite run game, but Jackson Dart just is what he is. He's not going to beat you. And LSU is probably, to answer your actual question, I think I put them, okay, I think I go Mississippi State 2 in the West. Ooh. Um, yeah, you got to say Ole Miss <laughs> 3 right now. Yeah, I think LSU's probably tied with Arkansas like in that four or five spot, and they still probably go eight and four, in my opinion. I think that defense will keep you in almost every game. Jaden Daniels, as much as like we are constantly criticizing his flaws, is still net very effective. Like we're it's so much about why you're not better, but he is still effective. He is still good. His running game is so elite. So it's like, yeah, I think LSU's gonna win some football games, but they're not like a team I would put in the top 10. So I put him in that four or five spot. And and, and just ironically. As usual, not mentioning AM at this point of the season already. Oh my good. Yeah. And I think AM. <laughs> no, oh. no. And you're right. You're right. Like, I, yeah, I think AM. Wow. Are, it's crazy to say they're sixth, right? I don't, I don't know nec- if I believe I, that. I don't necessarily like, disagree. I if mean, I'm, yeah, if I'm really asking myself, I think they might be, but I think the difference between six and two is so marginal. Right. And, and are they better than Tennessee, Kentucky, and Florida? Maybe Florida, but maybe not Tennessee and Kentucky. No. So, no. We're, we're you're, again, three through ten in this conference are – it's hard to figure out who who's better. Um, how concerned are you with, with either Alabama or Georgia or no concerns at all? Um, I think the way I put it on our show, uh, on David Ovens and I's show, uh, Football and Grits, that it's like – because David's like full throttle. Like, bam, is just not that good. They're going to lose two games this year. And I'm like, I get it, but – no, do I think Bam is a juggernaut that I thought they were before the year? That they were just the absolute juggernaut? No. And do I think Georgia's the juggernaut they looked like three weeks ago? No. But guess what? I think one through three in the country this year with Ohio State are clearly the three best teams. And just because no one, like, we have this screwed up brain where it's like we judge teams by you should be the greatest thing ever every week. And it's like, all right, but like we're still judging it by everyone else. Like teams, it's college football. They're college kids. They're not perfect. Like I think Bama and Georgia are still two of the three best teams in the country, and there is a drop off from three to four. They are still probably going to one of them will probably win the national title. They're just not freaks, so I'm not worried about them. Bama gets better as years go on, and I, I, that's the one team that genuinely is earned that trust. And I'm not going to judge Georgia, a defending champion that doesn't have the same like push by how they do against Kent State and Missouri I mean you got to win it but I'm going to judge them by how they play against Tennessee like that's just it's just a different calculus when you're defending champs so yeah man I I still trust both those teams yeah yeah there's some concerns and they're not as elite as we thought they're not perfect but man uh, they're still pretty damn good so uh, pretty damn good. all right I wonder who I trust in a fourth quarter Bryce yeah yeah Yeah, exactly exactly what uh or the backup for Alabama what what uh I'm gonna put you on the spot here and I want to say if I if I if we have this conversation again after Thanksgiving, heading into the SEC championship game, what is the headline about the LSU football season? Ooh, good question. I like that. Um, I think it is basically that Brian Kelly has probably put this team in a more stable place. They are a team that can handle tough football games in a way they haven't been able to. And the roster will by the next year, the year after that, be like in a more well-rounded place. So it's like, I think by the end of this year, it's, Kelly got through a rocky but more stable season where you win seven or eight games, you're competitive, and like I know that's not a headline, that is a so multiple paragraphs, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's they are finally on stable footing entering year two. It's all right. I'll remind everyone listening that writers don't write their own headlines. That's a different part of the company. Great point. The different different part of the company for every company. Um, we could have a longer conversation about whether or not that's the right thing to do or not. Ellis. Yes. 
LSU stabilized, comma, still has work to do. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, you did it for me. Thank you, man. Different <laughs> part of the go. company. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, Brody, thank you so much, man. Enjoy the weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm telling you, Tennessee LSU is one of my favorite games of the entire year. Thank God we're going to a new scheduling model. We actually get to yeah. see this one more often. And Absolutely. Uh, we don't have to just look at internet clips of 2010. So uh, thank you so much, man. Good talking to you. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks as always, man. Take care. That was Brody Miller. And here's my one from The Athletic. Go check him out. Football and Grits podcast. Talking SEC. All kinds of great stuff. Covers LSU. Really good dude. All right, Aaron, you said earlier about Tennessee sort of handling the the pressure of the situation. They haven't been here before. LSU's got a new coach. They haven't had, as Brody said, they haven't had a big game like this in Baton Rouge since 2019. So it's interesting to me mentally which team is mature enough to handle how big all of this is going to feel for both sides because LSU's sort of rising since week one, and Tennessee is clearly in way over their heads <laughs> from an expectation yeah. standpoint. I think Hendon Hooker's the difference. I think Tennessee wins and I think Hendon Hooker handles it all. But don't be surprised if he's running around for his life and that there are some mis- mistakes by Tennessee because this is this is all about how they handle themselves, both sides in this in this situation. Way more pressure on Tennessee right now. I agree. I think that I believe that if I ha- or if I had to pick, I'd say Tennessee will pull it off. And it's not necessarily because of anything really for me outside of Hendon Hooker, like you said, about and also LSU just still trying to find their footing on offense and just be being able to play as aggressively as they need to. It's just been like a little bit more conservative. So I think if they can yeah. kind of bust out, that'll be a, a little bit closer. Um, the it's to me, it's. If all our things are equal, it's Tennessee just having a little bit more experience, an extra like year with their head coach. And then also just um, the way that they're banding together as a team. I know that that's a little bit less X's and O's and is a little bit more out there. But just the experience they have playing with each other, the way that they, you know, know each other and just LSU is still feels like as it often does a lot of talented pieces that aren't completely meshed together yet. I think Tennessee has it a little bit more locked up. And so that's yeah. why I think that they'll end up winning this weekend. Hendon Hooker's in complete control, but he's going to be under pressure and I'm not sure they're going to be able to run the ball. So it's going to fall on his shoulders, shoulders to take care of it all. Tennessee, I think Tennessee wins, but it is way, way closer and tougher than people think. LSU is going to come out of there looking good uh, and feeling good, even though they're going to be four and two. I like Tennessee. Aaron, where can people find you? Go to jedun.com If you want a real change in your life and your career, and, and you want to work for somebody who cares about you, go to jedun.com and check them out. You do not need any experience. They will find a place for you because they want good people that care about the business and themselves and their their careers, and they want to care about you too. So check them out, jedun.com. Where can everybody find you besides at a very fancy baby shower? The Aaron Dugan on Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. There you have it. You can get to me at Braden Gall as well. Check out the YouTube page. Check out our Picks Against the Spread every Friday with Steven Lassen. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. JEDun.com, everybody. Enjoy week six. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Friday. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Peace.